Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of season three of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action movie, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me again today is Matthew Simpson of Awesome Friday. Welcome back, Matthew. Uh, well, thank you for having me again. It's uh, This has been really fun so far, so I'm looking forward to it. All right, well, just, uh, you know, keep your head. Just be careful what you, what you do here. <laughs> Or at least try. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, minute, of course. That's right. Minute 32 begins with Hans uh, trying again to, to warn Takagi and ends with Carl checking the door. So yesterday, you know, we had a, a, a great uh, minute with Takagi trying to weasel his way out of giving over this, this code. But at the same time, Hans is doing his best to make Takagi realize that it's in his best interest to probably give him the code. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, we ended yesterday's minute with, with Han saying to Takagi, that's a very nice suit, Mr. Takagi. And today it continues with, it would be a shame to ruin it. Now, that, that's a great threat. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's subtle, but it's, it's straight to the point. Rickman is so good at delivering these lines with sort of this very casual venom, this very casual malice. Yeah. You know, he's not, it's not like overt. He doesn't like play it to 11. He's just like, it would be a shame to ruin it. Like, it's kind of a shame he never got to play a Bond villain. He's so good at delivering these lines. He doesn't need to be a Bond villain. He's, he's Hans Gruber. That's true. That's true. Um, but I'm just saying, like, they're, he knows exactly when to dial it up and yes. when not to. Uh, and it's kind of a shame we don't get to see him dial it up in this minute or any of this week, but um, it pays off so well later yeah, when he for does. Sure. There's, there's no question about that. And, I mean, he's, he's just great in the way that he delivers his lines here and stuff like that. You know, it, it, yeah. it, in some ways, it's he sounds like a parent trying to warn a child, you know, and, and we aren't necessarily oh, yeah, like sure that. if he's going to follow through with, with the threat or not. You know, with the way that... Yeah, like a disappointed school yeah, headmaster? Sort of. <laughs> no, but the, the disappointed yeah. headmaster goes with uh, Carl and, uh, and Theo, not with uh, Takagi. <laughs> <laughs> True, yes. And, and then uh, Hans continues and says, I'm going to count to three. There will not be a four. Give me the code. One, two, three. And, and I love as he's counting... You know, the shot keeps changing. We get to see, you know, we get to see Takagi uh, sweating even more. We get to see, you know, John looking over. And we get to see Carl and Theo, you know, uh, trying to, you know, looking on as the the count is also going on. And he begins, he's like holding his hand on the gun on the table the entire time. But that's it. You know, he just, he has his hand placed on the gun, but doesn't do anything beyond that. And yeah, again, such such wonderful casual yeah. threat. It's uh, so well executed. Yeah, for sure. And pardon, pardon the yeah, pun. Sure. <laughs> and, and then Takagi goes, "I don't know. I'm telling you, get on a jet to Tokyo and ask the chairman. I'm telling you, you're just gonna have to kill me." So first of all, why should he tell him to get on a jet? Why don't you get on the phone? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm assuming something to do with the time difference or 
just maybe the, maybe the chairman is esoteric and doesn't have a phone. It could be. Could be. It's, it's the eighties, so maybe he didn't have a, a, a cell phone. At the time. You know, he, he has six hundred and forty million dollars in bearer bonds that that uh, you know is is chump change, but uh, you know he doesn't have a cell phone. But what what's great here with first of all, I, I I did the math last week because you know we discussed the fact that that uh, Takagi says to him, you know, by the time they wake up in in Tokyo, they're going to change the, the codes. So there's a 16-hour difference between L.A. and Tokyo. So if this is taking place, I guess, around 7 o'clock at night, okay, so it's 11 o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. in Tokyo. So it's already morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he's just, uh, you know, we talked yesterday about how Takagi at this point is still trying to size up exactly who he's dealing with. And I think, you know, he's realized he's not that Gruber's not the terrorist he initially thought, but I think he's underestimating what that actually means. You know, like I think he's perhaps in realizing that Gruber's not a terrorist, he then begins to think he's less of a threat, right. which I find interesting. Right. Do you, do you think he's trying to, to buy time at, by, by saying this? I mean, I don't know if, if telling someone to kill me is going to really buy me time, but do you think that, that that's what he's trying to do, even though it's not effective? No, I think at this point he has made his assessment of Gruber and doesn't think that Gruber is going to follow through. I think he, I think he fully believes that Gruber is not going to follow through on this threat. Well, apparently uh, either, either Theo or, or Carl also believes that he's not going to follow through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get to later today. We'll, we'll we'll figure out which one is 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 wishing which, you know. But yep. <laughs> I mean, it's just a silly statement to say. Oh, you're just gonna have to kill me. <laughs> it is, but it's it it betrays like again. It's uh it's said so confidently, and I think that um James Shig Shigeta Shigeta I think yeah it's Shigata Shigata yeah Shigata yeah is he's so like wonderfully confident in this moment playing this uh, CEO who's used to commanding the negotiations who doesn't realize that maybe he's uh, they're underestimating a little certainly... bit a little bit in over his head yeah there, it doesn't well, really those are great puns right? these, it's yeah. great adding these puns in about uh, you know what we what we know is going to happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean he's very headstrong. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Very good. But uh, he's I a head I, above the others. Indeed, indeed. I hope he doesn't lose his head in the negotiations. Um, but yeah, I really like his performance in this moment of being very confident that he's in control and not really realizing that he's not. Right. Yeah. You know, it's uh, yeah. it's it's a pretty great moment, and uh, he it's you know we're only thirty two minutes into the movie, but I really I've always found that character to be very memorable. Yes. Um, which says a lot about James Shigata and uh, one of the Yeah, because think about it. How many of the minutes is he in this movie? Let's say he's in five minutes, seven minutes. I mean, he's not in that many minutes of the movie, but he, he leaves a very lasting impression, more so mm -hmm. than many of the other characters around here. Yeah. I think that's one so, of the reasons that Die Hard is pretty great, like we were talking about yesterday, is that all of the, or at least most of the supporting characters get such fleshed out uh, personalities uh none of them are none of them are boring none of them are flat they're all fully formed characters uh and it it really really works to make the whole film great yeah completely and 
and I mean, the, the way that, that Hans responds here is great because it's, it's like, you, you don't expect it. It takes him two seconds, if not, if, if not even that. He goes, okay. No, not even. <laughs> Just okay. Yeah. Okay. And he picks up the gun and just shoots him. Yeah. You ruins, know, ruins the suit. <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, it's a very quick and smooth shot, you know, right through, right, right between the eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're a little graphic in the way that they show his brains on the window of the door. Mm-hmm. Well, it is an R-rated movie, though. You know. Yeah, no, for sure. But I'm saying, but you also take into consideration this is the 80s. So, they, it, you know, this is, and this isn't a horror movie. In a horror movie, I can expect that. Yeah, I mean. But it, it's just very interesting that, that the, the boom and then the, the blast of the shot. I mean, again, it's, it's the shock value. It's the shock John also into realizing who he's dealing with. Yeah. I mean, it's a very effective shot. Uh, yeah, in, it's very effective. In, in both ways. Uh, you know, cinematically. Yeah, and... I mean, we see, it, we, we see it later in the movie also. It, it, you know, every time they go through this boardroom later on, we're going to see those brains on, on, you know, they didn't get the clean the to come to, to clean it up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, they have the doors locked, so that makes sense. But um, it's true. They, uh, it is. It's an effective shot, and it's effective how it's left there. Um, and you're right; it does really, you know, as much as Takagi had completely underestimated his opponent, it really lets John understand exactly who he's dealing with. Uh, who he's dealing yeah. with, right? And it also lets us, which helps, which helps later on with the conversation with Ellis, where John basically says, "I know who we're dealing with here. You don't." Yeah. And, I know these type of people. You don't. Yeah. And for us, the audience, it also lets us know exactly who Alan Rickman is. And he does it so, again, just it's so casual, but so violent and malevolent. Yeah. How he's just like, okay. And it really lets us know that Gruber is a man who is committed to this. Like, he may not be a terrorist, but he definitely has a cause and a mission that he wants to execute. And he's going to not let anything get in his way. Right. And you know, if it, we talked yesterday about how he seemed to not to to prefer not to kill Takagi, but now we know that you know if that's the only option, he's just going to do it. You know, he's not going to hesitate if that's his choice. Right, but I, I think he pretty much knew that the odds were that he wasn't going to give him the code. No, I mean for sure. I think I think for sure Gruber's expectation is almost certainly that to, you know. I think at best it was a 50-50 shot, right? Whether he was going to give up the code. Um, right. But I think I still, I still, and maybe I'm just sympathizing with the bad guy too much here, but my, my feeling is that he would have preferred not to. Um, but it shows his, you know, commitment to that as soon as it became the only option, he did it. No hesitation. Right. Yeah. Right. But uh, there's also the idea here that, that, um, you know, when when you're you're looking looking at the way things are, are playing out, you know, it, it it's telling us, you know, that that these guys mean business. Yep. You know, they're 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 not they're not people to to take lightly and and trifle with and whatever. And and I love how we get the shot from John's perspective of the you know the the. The, the window glass and we see the mm-hmm. all the brains there and it's like literally the the cut is seconds after Hans makes the shot so if you if you look you can actually see through the 
through the the glass. Hans's mm-hmm. hand on the gun, but it doesn't look like it's it's actually lined up properly. Oh, interesting. Along with where where the blood you know hits the again it 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 could just be you know from my perspective that it, that it, that it's slightly off. But it it doesn't look like as if they got the angle you know, I was, right. I was so focused on the, the blood spatter, the brain spatter, that I didn't actually notice that. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's for the sure. point. <laughs> I, I think they want you to, to, to look at yeah. look It at is that, such a wonderfully know. shocking moment in the movie. It really lets you know what kind of movie you're watching, too. Not that it's going to be like necessarily graphically yeah. violent, but that you know, people aren't safe either. Right. And, and again, like uh, the big, the biggest question that I have is, okay, he, he, he shot him and there's blood now on the window, but how come the bullet didn't go through the window? Uh, you think that the glass would have shattered. Uh, the answer is probably magic. A wizard did it. A wizard did it. That's the answer. Pretty sure. A wizard did it. Okay. In, in movies, if you, if you can't explain it, a wizard did it. That's my, uh, yeah. It makes sense. I, I completely agree. You know, Gandalf, yeah. Gandalf uh, strikes Although, you know, I should know this because I just rewatched <laughs> this scene in the movie and also then this minute of the movie, but um, it's entirely possible the bullet did pass through and it's just obscured by all the blood and guts. But it didn't It didn't shatter it. You'd think that the bullet would <laughs> shatter think, the glass. You'd think. I'm really reaching here, to be fair, but it's. Uh... No, I, I understand. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> That's fine. I I didn't expect you to have an answer. It's just it's the the idea yeah. of being able to point these things out so that that the people can can know that uh, you know that that you yeah. and I are actually. I mean, the actual it. answer is is that you know that the scene wouldn't be as effective if the glass shattered and the blood didn't hit it and stay there. Yeah, of course. That 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 is the true answer. And again, maybe maybe you know maybe the bullet is still entrenched somewhere yeah. in what's left of his head, you know, and the rest of it just blurted out. I mean, I I don't know enough about ballistics yeah, no, to really explain that. So we'll, you know, we'll we'll, we'll just have to, we'll, you know, the the suspension of disbelief. There. <laughs> so we we clearly see that McLean is shocked by all this, and then we get to see. Hans, Hans, stand up, and you know the <laughs> the chair basically falls over with the body inside of it. You know, perfectly, uh, you know, strapped to the chair, I guess you can say. <laughs> and and you can see like there's still smoke in the air from the you know from from the mm-hmm. yeah, uh, such a nice from little detail. Mm-hmm. I love when they Stuff like that. You know, because in yes. nowadays they could just add that in post, but um. Back then, they would have really had to think about that and like have something to create the smoke for multiple takes yeah. or you know, some practical little piece. I, I love that. At this point, Hans decides to start, uh, you know, giving out uh, mm-hmm. little missions to everyone to do different jobs. He goes, "We'll have to do it the hard way, Tony. See if you mm-hmm. can dispose of that." Pointing to the to the body, and then he goes, "Carl, you better go check on Heinrich working working on the the machine floor." You know, it's like, uh, yep. you do this, you do that, and whatever. And, you know, from at, at this point, we see Carl handing Theo some money. So basically, what it comes down to is, is that 
Theo believed that uh, Hans was going to shoot him, and Carl didn't. Now we both know that 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 Carl is a little more is much more sadistic than Theo. So it's it's fun that they have this role reversal, you know, because it's not a question of Carl betting whether he's going to shoot him. It's a question of whether Hans is going to shoot him. So Carl doesn't apparently trust Hans enough to do you believe think that he on whether actually Hans would shot shoot him, or do you think they're betting on whether Takagi would give up the code though? Because that was my read that they weren't that they were. Uh, I mean, I think they would both What's understand that if Takagi didn't give up the code, he was going to get shot, right? But if they're betting on whether Takagi would cave rather than whether Gruber would actually, then Hans would actually shoot him was sort of my read on it. Like they were betting on Takagi, not on Hans was my read. Interesting. Okay. I, I, I didn't think of it from that perspective because that, that, that changes things completely because, you know, that means that Theo believes that Takagi is going to rather die than give over the code and Mm-hmm. That Carl believes that 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 he will yep. give over the code. Hmm. Or sorry, that he won't give over the code. Theo believes no, one that. Second. One second. Did I get that right? So Theo believes. Theo believes that he will that 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 Takagi will will go to his grave before yes. giving over the code, and Carl believes that he will give it, up. It the does code. kind of change things. Right. Hmm. Okay, yeah. that's it. Yeah, it really does. That's interesting. I I still like looking at it from the perspective that they're betting on on Hans. But 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 I can see yeah, where you're going with think, uh, I mean, it's never on Takagi really also spoken about. So I think it's yeah. whichever way you want to read it is fine. Um, I just think they're both right. interesting to think about. And at this point, uh, you know, John decides to to try to get out of there, and he he starts he he makes a little noise and bumps bumps his head or bumps his arm mm-hmm. on the uh, you know on on the table, and all four of the villains quickly just turn. And look over, and Carl pulls out a gun, and then Carl and Tony both run into the room, searching for 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 someone that that's you know making the noise or whatever intruder has shown here. And I love the the music. You know, Michael Caine does a great job with the music in this movie. And this, you know, as soon as they come in, they, you get a few notes, you know, that 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 adds the suspense of everything like that. And then we see Carl run to to check, and he opens uh, a set of doors and looks in. No. I mean, he doesn't do it He's in a very him. secure way. You know, he just like opens the door instead of you know having someone cover him or or having the gun, you know, looking at what's going to happen there or anything like that. Yeah, he definitely kind of so, flings them open, doesn't he? Yes. And then he tries to go to a second door, and we see him trying to turn the handle, and and that's where the minute ends. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty great minute, to be fair. Like, there's a lot of great minutes yeah, in this sure. film, but this is one of them for sure. Yeah. I actually, what do you mean? Every minute is a great minute in this movie. <laughs> True, it is a classic. Can you think of can can you can you honestly think of something in this movie that that happens that you say to yourself, "Oh, that's boring. I don't want to see that." Why no. is that here? You know, everything is building up the story and is telling us uh, so much about these characters and the situation as yeah, things are moving along. There are no wasted frames in this movie at all. Like every yes. everything we see. I actually I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. I'm sure there are. I wouldn't say there are oh, yeah. wasted frames, but there are no wasted scenes. Yeah, you know, like yeah, every scene definitely tells us something that we're going to need to know or informs something that's going to happen later for sure. Right. Right. Exactly. Like I mean I, I remember reading online someone complaining about the fact that why do they keep cutting to Argyle? 
You know, like, what does that add to us? You know, why didn't John just go down and, and use the, you know, meet up with Argyle and, and use the, you know, his, his cell phone or something? Really? You know? That seems like, I mean, but, uh, the elevators are shut down. They're on the 30th floor and Argyle's in the basement. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, I, I think he would have he would have been able to get there if he wanted. I mean, yeah, maybe. You know, but again, then then yeah, we wouldn't have this movie, movie wouldn't exist. So yeah, why would we do that? <laughs> exactly. So, so the the script has a, a few little discrepancies here, not that many, but so Hans at the beginning says, "This is too nice a suit to ruin, Mister mm-hmm. Takagi." So you know, they 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 change around the words a little bit. That that could have just been an ad lib. From from uh, Alan Rickman about how that and Takagi says um, I don't know it. Get on the goddamn jet to Tokyo and ask the chairman. Now adding the word goddamn in in that particular situation makes it seem rightfully so that Takagi is much more agitated and he's not you know he still speaks calmly even though he's sweating and everything like that. But if you were to, if you were to have him swear in the middle, it would be it would be a little too much. So I, I 100% uh, agree with that. Maybe if it was like a European yeah. company and he was like the American CEO, like a white guy, it would make sense. But it yeah, like, like a, a Texan, Texan or or a New Yorker <laughs> or anyone from any of those places. But as a as the Japanese CEO of a Japanese company, uh, whether or not it's culturally accurate, it does not feel movie authentic for him to be swearing. Which is why I'm glad they didn't do that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then it says that uh, you know after the shot, it it says uh, McLean reacts as if he has, he is shot. And it says the glass doors up to the boardroom are splattered red and dripping. Takagi is still seated, but the chair is flat on its back, blood flowing out into the carpet. Hans springs to his feet. And then it's. <laughs> And I mean, I'm not going to go into the dialogue because the dialogue is the same thing. And then it says Carl in the midst of handing Theo a $50 bill nods. <laughs> so it was a $50 bag. <laughs> this isn't this isn't a uh, trading places, uh, you know, bet yeah. where they're just betting a dollar. It was only 10. <laughs> this is 50, there you go. Exactly. And then it says outside McLean's stunned sees Hans move and tries to retreat. But his gun bumps the underside of the table. And then you know Carl and uh, mm-hmm. and Tony run out after him. So again, it's I mean there aren't that many differences between the script, but but I always like seeing the the small little differences because you can try to figure out okay are these differences because you know someone scripted them that way and they decided to you know on the spot to change something or is it an ad lib or whatever it is. So it's. You know, in in Plain Shades and Automobiles, we basically had over two hours of cut uh, footage, mm-hmm. so there was a lot from the script. You know, it was they, they basically cut out Die Hard because it was two hours and twelve minutes that was cut out of the the, the first cut until the final final cut. That of is Plain Shades and Automobiles. That's a lot of movie to cut down. It's nuts, but there's, but it, it's 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 a it's yeah. very interesting to see all the things that they cut. You know, but in this type of movie, they're, they're, it's it's uh, a lot shorter, yeah. the type of cuts that they get. What can you do? <laughs> All right. So every Tuesday, we do a segment called Off the Beaten Track Holiday Edition. So 
where, where my guests will give a, a story about an adventure or misadventure or something that happened uh, during a, a, some sort of holiday. Holiday could be a vacation. Holiday could be, you know, a holiday, whatever. Well, so, so what have you got for us, Matthew? It's now a pretty popular thing that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, right? And I've gone back and forth on that in my entire life, whether it's a Christmas movie or a movie set at Christmas. But either way, it's a movie that takes place at Christmas. But, like, 15 years ago, so this would be late zeros, um, and this is sort of before that really became a hugely popular idea, um, there was a theater here in Vancouver where I live that on the last Friday of every month, they just did a repertory show. So rather than something new, they had like a voting system and we would, they would bring in prints of old movies to watch. So, you know, one day it would be Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, uh, another one I saw there was Aliens. Um, it was a really cool theater. Um, oh, wow. But so, cool. And I think it was during yeah. Raiders. Uh, in November of whatever year that was, 2009, I think, 2008. Um, the movie finished, and always finished with the host coming out and thanking everyone for being there, and there was always giveaways and stuff. And as he's talking, he announces that you know they're going to start thinking about what to, to do for Christmas. And I'm there with my friend Simon, who is my podcasting partner to this day. Um, and we both sort of just looked at one another and then like almost in unison yelled out, Die Hard for Christmas! And the guy was like, wait, what? And then someone else was like, yeah, Die Hard for Christmas. And everyone started applauding. And then 30 days later, uh, on Christmas Day, we watched Die Hard in a theater <laughs> in Vancouver because we called cool. it out, uh, which felt pretty good. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's a great story. Yeah. Thank short, you. short but sweet. All right. So, hey, why not? Nothing wrong with that. Short, long, doesn't matter as long as, long as it's a good story. That's the important thing. All right. So you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you once again? Absolutely. Uh, as always, the easiest way to find my stuff is to go to our website, which is awesomefriday.ca. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at awesomefridayca and Facebook awesomefriday. Uh, our main output these days is the Awesome Friday podcast, where we review two new things, usually movies, every week. Uh, and you can find that anywhere you can listen to podcasts. All right. Very cool. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. Or you can go to my website. So until tomorrow, yippee ki yay Yippee-ki-yay. yippee ki